Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Uh, this is Mike. I'm with Wade and with uh, two of our friends who are pastors, uh, John Bordelin, who's been on before from St. John's McGuanago. Just had a, uh, a blog post, a devotion for 1517. So when this comes out, when I, uh, when I produce it out of my uh, devotion to this podcast and my friend and colleague Michael Berg, it will have been out about a week ago from today. So, Take a look. And then David Meyer, who is a pastor at St. John's Oak Creek, right here in the Milwaukee area. And we're going to talk today what about... What St. John's Oak Creek? Yeah, there's a two St. John's Oak Creek. Um, Why is that? Is Was one of them Missouri back in the day or something? No, ours was uh, originally a little bit further north, and then they expanded the airport. So we had to move, and we ended up on Howell Ave. And so went from, I believe it was the town of Lake, it was called, to Oak Creek. And there already was a St. John's Oak Creek, so now we have two of them. So we got so. two St. John's pastors here. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we're going to talk about the means of grace, specifically as a pastor and as a preacher. How does uh, the doctrine of the means of grace, how does that get played out in a practical way in your preaching and your teaching and your ministry? That's going to be our topic today. Wade has a free-for-all idea, mm-hmm. which he has not shared with us, right. but we will get there. Be right. It'll we, be better than last time. All right. We will get there in, in a moment. Uh, before we get any, any further, we are pleased to be a part of the 1517 Podcast Network. 20 podcasts now, baby? There's a lot. There's a lot of them. Uh, we encourage you to check them out. Uh, but as Wade says, always come back and listen to us. And uh, subscribe, is that the way? Subscribe, rate, review. Rate, we, uh, review on We're getting iTunes. closer to our... I want to get us to that 200 ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. And uh, we already have all the books reclaimed. We did the book giveaway for... Yeah. And someone wants you to sign my book, Michael. <laughs> wants me to sign your book? Yeah. Okay. So. Um, that's always an awkward thing when people want you to sign your book sign the book that you wrote don't you yeah. think dave i yeah. mean all those books you wrote when people ask you to sign it is awkward oh. um gets also, me every time <laughs> I, I actually gave away because someone wanted a copy of your book and you didn't sign it the second way the second time the same way but i really cherished you had signed your book to me keep on trucking and uh i sign them like i signed like your books like have a good summer never change because uh, what do you put you EFF. Know? yeah you know Best friends forever. Mm-hmm. One of the boys. Yeah. Um, speaking of fifteen, seventeen, and books, Wade's got quite a few books out there, and I just got in. Uh, I just got in the mail today a free copy of A Shepherd's Letter, uh, The Faith Once and for All Delivered to the Evangelical Church by Bo Geertz, translated by uh, our friend Borg Erickson. And we're gonna get. We've got this new toy that Ben and Peter have to teach us how to use. And we should be able to do um, remote mm-hmm. stuff better, which also means we're, we're going to get Peel on. We're going to find a topic, get get Pastor Peel yeah. back yeah. on. Who has been on before. Yeah. Uh, and, from uh, Salt Lake. But like they, Ben and Peter say this is going to be great um, for doing that. So we're going to get, we're going to get Brewer back on. Excellent. And so 1517 has uh, helped us out with that. They've yeah, they good, did. And, but they're good resources for blogs, for books, for academy courses, as they call it. So kind of like a master course type thing, like video lectures, probably more like a great course sort of thing on a, on a lower level. 
but uh, 1517.org. I got it right. 1517.org. Please, uh, please go there. Um, I didn't bring the piece of paper. We're at my house right now. Yeah, I think the disclaimer still applies. And basically, to sum it up, uh, we're not responsible yeah. for anything we say. And uh, I'm at, we're at my house because I'm a bachelor this week because my um, one daughter's in college and the other two daughters are on spring break with my wife visiting her aunt and uh, my sister who's also vacationing in Florida. So we're at our house and I forgot to bring the sheet of paper that has our disclaimer. There was so. a... Did you, either of you guys happen to trip over any of the beer cans out in the front yard? There was a lot, I would say. On the contrary. He's a good bachelor. This is a week where I've already put one car in to get an oil change. I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to get a lot of stuff done is nice. what I'm going to do. So, All right. We'll be back for our free-for-all. Before we start the free-for-all... Uh, we started that before the number and even... Before we start the free-for-all, uh, we forgot to mention that the Here We Still Stand registration has been open for a while. Mm. Their conference You're going to be Diego. there, Michael. You're presenting. I'm presenting. You'll be there. Yep. Our wives guess, will be there. Guess what I signed up for. Did you sign up for my thing? I did. I'm so, going to support you, my friend. So when I got the, the, the email about like travel and stuff like that and you had to pick register and then pick which ones i saw that mine was on a topic that apparently i agreed to but i had forgotten that i agreed to i was wondering about that because it's not something i've heard you speak about before so uh but i'm excited to talk about uh reason and its relationship with scripture Mm -hmm. but not something i've done before so um i got some work to do but we got some time yeah got many months did you uh did you decide is your is your bride going with you? She is. She is going to go. It's a tough time to go. as well. It's a tough time to go for her being a teacher, but um, we're going to make it happen. So what's your free-for-all idea? All right. So here's my, my free-for-all question. And it's better. Last time you let me do this, it went, I would say, not well, because that was the, um, if you had to kick a baby animal, like to try to corner kick it, soccer style. And uh, I said turtle, which I thought was pretty good. And do you remember what your daughter said? No. She said puppy, yeah. a dog, which is rather insensitive. Um, but um, for this one, I was thinking, so we've gone to school together in various versions. Um, we uh, we were sometimes same class, sometimes different because you guys went to Europe and, um, you know, traipsed about. And... Uh, um, so then we were a little bit different, but uh, but same type of classes, had a lot of the same professors with some differences. And so my for my free-for-all would be best class in retrospect that you thought was stupid at the time or did not like or did not put the work in you would have liked to, that you actually now have gotten a fair amount out of or wish you could go back and do again. Does that make sense? Sure. Um, so like there's classes I really didn't try in and I don't regret having done that. But there's other ones where I'm like, man, that was actually a good class in retrospect, and I got something out of it, or I wish I would have any, maybe there's none, maybe you guys just made the most of every class. It can be college, it can be some, it could be, it could be high school. 
it could be grade school, but um, anything that anything that comes to mind. I think if I had to redo everything, I would I would pay attention in my science classes. I think I was in that attitude, like I don't need that because I'm going to be a pastor, and I really need it. I did do botany at MLC, and I feel yeah. like yeah. that. I think I got at least a C in that. Yeah. But I've done landscaping. Yeah. You certainly have an idea. What's yours? I don't have one that immediately comes to mind, but um, I would probably um, say uh, I wish I would have tried more in Hebrew in mm. general. My Hebrew classes, I uh, um, I can get by. And there's so many resources. Just I mean, you can go on Logos. You can whatever. Um, but that's definitely, I would say, out of the two confessional languages and then out of the two biblical, my weakest. And I probably somewhat purposefully because I just thought it was too mathematical and frustrating um, I, I have to say so uh, long story short I had to look up uh, some transcript information for because we are because of the higher learning commission teaching a class outside of the major field into philosophy mm, mm -hmm. blah 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 you have to prove that you can teach us so I'm going through my file, and I happened across my MLC transcript. It's not great. And one of my worst grades was golf. Really? I, had a P. I got a C in golf. I had gymnastics, and I think I did poorly <laughs> in that. I, I, now I can see that. Yeah. Like, there's no reason I should get a C in golf. But we had to do where you had to, like, whatever that thing is, where you had to run up to and jump and, like, swing your legs over it. And you know how kids could, like, do that growing up, like, hop a fence like that? They'd go up and they'd jump in there. Mm -hmm. I was always the, like, you put your feet in, right. you're going right. to do three, get my pants caught. Like, <clears throat> I don't know how we were supposed to do that. What, it wasn't called a hobby horse. What was that the thing pommel called? pommel horse. That could be. And uh, <clears throat> and then we were supposed to do um, where you walk on one of those things, too, that's it's raised probably about three, four feet. The beam? The beam. Yeah, and I'm afraid of heights. And I was like, <laughs> no. no. like three feet off the ground. <laughs> I don't care that's heights, man. And I just remember being like, oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like, I want to say it was gymnastics and tennis combined. And I played tennis all through high school. I actually won regionals. I was not bad at tennis. But I think I was that bad at the gymnastics portion. That. The, yeah, um, I, can't, I can't believe I got to I don't even remember the class, of course. I probably didn't go. That maybe was the issue. But yeah. There's probably a lot for me to choose from, but I think back to like some of the literature courses and especially now that my kids, you know, in high school and they'll talk about whatever they're reading or supposed to be reading, like I kinda wanna have an engaged conversation. But if it's not a book that I've gone back and read <laughs> in adulthood, then I'm like, I got nothing because I just way too easily blew it off and that's to my shame. There was like a Scarlet A or something in our past, something like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I remember one of the literature courses in college where it was like, the profs are off like, well, if you want to be like an A student, this is the amount of books you have to read. And like, I can just remember, like, what do you got to be to like be a C student? Like, you know, like, this is just being here, do I got to read some of these? And that was terrible. So, but, but turned, out it was, turned out it wasn't a lot. So, yeah. Dave, you got any that come to mind? Yeah, well, that, w that was one, a Shakespeare class. 
I had. I think we experimented in trying to watch the movies instead of actually reading uh, Shakespeare himself. That didn't go quite as well. Like on the um, test where you're like, the Jets and the Sharks then yeah. had a dance-off. Right. West Side Story didn't cover this. Yeah. Um, no, but the other one I thought of was philosophy. Yeah, that um, a good one. I think I kind of just punted early on on that. Part of it maybe was how it was being instructed. But um, I think it would be interesting after like being in the ministry for some time to kind of take a deep dive into some of the the um, yeah the historical philosophy and in and in, in current day too. But yeah, that is a good one. Yeah, I think that that's partly why I went back to school was, boy, I don't know this mm-hmm. like at all, right? And I'm not thinking clearly, therefore I'm not articulating clearly. And uh, I couldn't read myself into it. I needed a teacher. So, yeah, that's a good one. I think that is, there's <clears throat> just certain stuff and like what John was saying, lit, like there's some stuff you can make up like once you're out and there's the other stuff... <clears throat> I think that's partly like why I pick Hebrew too. Like language stuff is just, I find harder and harder to go back for. Like, even though we learned it once, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just getting older or what, but it clicks less and less. Like, what is it? The hifil, the pitel. Like, mm-hmm. there was a day and age where I was kind of like, okay, yeah, this kind of makes sense. And now it's like, I'm gonna review this for a long time and then probably forget it again. But, well, I think those tools that you mentioned that we have that we didn't have like when we were in college it's kind of like google maps where you yeah. just you don't just learn your way on your own you know and you end up just punching it in and you have no idea where you're going yeah. but um yeah so where you're you were forced to like learn the language but now you can just yeah. look it up and then it doesn't like stick as well as if you're actively engaged in it and you probably don't think think in that language as as yeah. maybe we were supposed to anyway mm-hmm. you know what also i would say psychology yeah. Which I had. I did. I I was engaged in that. I really liked that. Oh, I did. That was probably one of my my worst grade, and uh, it was one of those because I just decided early on I just didn't like it, so I wasn't. And uh, I ended up the professor who I had for that ended up being my colleague. <laughs> I taught with him later, and uh, I remember kind of feeling out to see if he could remember me from because yeah. I also had him for a. Uh, he taught like early American history, yeah. and I did well in there. Yeah. So hopefully, like, I always hope to remember, like, that performance and not the, say, I think I, I think I took that final in, like, 10 minutes. I just. <laughs> what about a course or, or maybe this is a different free-for-all, a course or instructor that was a game changer for you along the way that you, that either now as teacher or a preacher that you'd say, boy, that was sure something. And maybe it was, you didn't recognize it even at the time, but now looking back on it, you go, boy, that was really good yeah. for me. I would say the one I recognize would be dummy doctrine with Deutschlander, which was for those not familiar with the, I guess, colloquial term for it was, um, the public school kids <clears throat> at MLC had, uh, uh, now sainted, uh, professor Deutschlander for, um, kind of like a catch up doctrine course. And I think we probably, um, we're better off than yeah, the rest we, of us. Yeah, we got, yeah, good stuff. And um, my triglot of the large catechisms all marked up because of that. I went back and uh, <clears throat> I would type up all my notes right after. And I have several binders of just that I still use that I consult for when teaching in class on certain stuff. So I'd say that would be the one that I knew <clears throat> was um, 
And Deutschland was just a formative person, and it it totally started off on the the wrong like leg. Like it, you I dropped the ball a few times. Well, I had been Lutheran for like five minutes. Yeah, and uh, I didn't. I made some jokes that apparently were not funny. Um, and so you know, and then he knew my background Catholicism, so it'd be you know, go light a candle, Johnston, or whatever else. Um, but I would say that class I knew was going to be that way. And then I would say if I had to pick one that um, I kind of just took but ended up being probably one of the most fun courses and probably has influenced how I teach now would be, um, I think you some of you were in this, um, with Calpine, the 20th century European seminar history course. seminar. Yeah, and yeah, that was good. we were just around the table and um, uh, a professor who probably was somewhat terrifying before that um, in a good way, right? He had had us as sophomores and... I think that's the worst year for everybody. And um, I believe Michael, I still remember Michael getting it. And we went, you were doing the, this and. Sorry, I got kicked out of class in college. <laughs> Just for a class period, <laughs> not the whole class. Right, I got, that's, um, but, that's uh, sent to the principal's office in college. Yeah, and. Um, <laughs> But um, I would say that course was, because we just sat, we, dis- we yeah, read, we discussed, and it was one of those that I ended up, it wasn't, and I would say it got me interested in history too, but um, you know, that I actually, you, you read because you were looking forward to the conversation, and I, I think that got me on excited. That, on that topic, I'm not probably, that was the first class I can remember being excited to go to the library yep. because of how it was just designed. and There was only like nine of us or something. Yeah, like yeah and it was purposely so, and then you thought it was kind of like sitting at that table and like, this uh i i need to contribute something to this and yeah yeah it was a you said that it influences your teaching now i think a, a lot of um that i try to teach a lot of my courses at least somewhat seminar style which is hard with 30 kids but goes back to that and then some of my experiences in grad school with it but you know to kind of have that with the students to try to kind of cultivate that like because that i don't even no, if, I don't know if we had tests in that course. If it was test, I don't remember that at all. I just remember the conversations. I don't think there was a test. Yeah. And it kind of, I think Luther probably is this some way for you when we teach the way we teach or whatever. Yeah. Like, hopefully this is interesting. You're going to read it. We're going to come and discuss it. And like, that's the reward is the discussion. And you're always going to get some kids that are kind of like whatever. But I think we get above and beyond students class, in that class. Yeah. And uh, so I think it's influenced stuff like that for sure. Yeah. I said seminary, David Kuski, who kind of like what you're saying with a dummy doctrine, he just said, okay, you took four years of Greek. Here's what you really need to know. And I think that was, that saved me um, when going into the parish that you could, I could do a text study in the Greek because of David Kuski. Yeah, I was going to say the Kelpian seminar course was one I can like look Great back minds. and at the time was excited about now even looking more back at it so I'm sure there's plenty of others I, <clears throat> yeah for college I mean like thinking of professors at, at Deutschlander that you mentioned I think a lot of that had to do with outside the classroom yeah. that he um, he built that bond with his students where I think everyone thought like you know like not that you were his favorite but that i mean it was like the special connection that you yeah. didn't automatically have with others you had to um, be lined up outside his office when you were registering for classes and yep. it was the old school registration you weren't doing it online and I, I remember he just come out he probably did it to all of us at different points like 
Mr. Johnston, show me what you're registering for. And he'd kind of mm-hmm. go down, and if you had something, be like... Just, just on that one point, I remember reading a book not that long ago called Father Joe about someone who had that uh, experience with his uh, an old monk, you know. And long story short, when they um, came time to come to the guy's funeral, like he was just surprised that there were 200, 200 other guys just like him. There he thought he was the only one. Okay. I think that play, plays into pastoral ministry, you know. Deutschlander had that way of making you feel like you were the only one who mattered, yeah. even mm-hmm. though, like, you passed Dave Meyer on the way out of the office. Like, yeah. like he's really important to that guy, too, but so oh. self-centered, you thought you were the only one that mattered. That, so. uh, the, at some point, we we owe Professor Deutschlander his own episode. Might be. <clears throat> well, you mentioned us going to Europe, and I, I mean, I, I went to him for advice, you know, and, like, I was on the fence whether I should go or not, and that conversation was really helpful and um, confirming that yeah it'd be a good idea to go you know and take a year off is is okay. Um, but then at the the seminary, I think uh, Rich Gurgle was uh, um, especially having him for a class like dogmatics, um, just doctrine where it's not just this abstract you know thing, but it's it's a you know extremely practical and he had a way of um yeah ingraining that in us and uh not making it like a dry a dry class at all yeah. but this it was very pastoral um and everything i think back often to things we talk about in that class is your counseling and working and teaching you know yeah so i think brenner with augsburg confession was probably that way too of a he had a way of phrasing those agree disagree questions so that you wouldn't be right no matter what, <laughs> and so then he'd have a chance to <clears throat> make you dig deeper. And uh, I think I got, I still have, I don't have all my notes anymore. There was plenty of notes I've decided like, after this many years, if I haven't used them, I just don't need them. But that would be a, another one of those that I have mm-hmm. the notes for still. That that uh, I'm not going to say which ones I threw out because I don't want to offend anybody. But <laughs> there were some that didn't last as long as others so yeah good that was, was that okay michael yep, that, that was, was better good. than kicking baby animals that was better all right the um well we will make our way to the main topic brings us to our main topic and we have been doing some episodes lately on why this or what about that um what about the saints we did um why genesis we talked about christian funerals what's a christian funeral why have a christian funeral um and a term that i find uh, i found this in the parish i found this coming into lutheranism even it was a term that i kept hearing and i wasn't quite sure what it meant but i felt like i should know and it took a while before i asked um, but when I was in the parish, I found it was a term I was using. And then I kind of would ask, like, hey, you guys know what that means, right? And sometimes I'd get looks like, ah, not really, if I'm going to be honest. Um, I think more and more I recognize with students, even um, students who come from a Lutheran background, that maybe it's not a given that they, I mean, they maybe know, strictly speaking, oh, that means word and sacrament, but not why we talk about it in the way we do. 
Um, it's a term. I, I'm trying to think. Um, you guys know what the term is. I don't think it pops up in a lot of other church bodies. I think it definitely gets used more in Lutheranism than I didn't hear it in Catholicism. Um, maybe Episcopalianism would would have yeah, some maybe. of this. Michael, um, but maybe you're guessing at, uh, or did you already say in the intro what we were going to talk about? Yeah. Well, why am I building suspense then? Why are we letting oh, you're me doing do that, very Michael? Well. Okay. So, anyways, the term is means of grace. Um, and so I think the thing we should do before we get to uh, the reason we want to have some parish pastors on with us, uh, we will get to how does the means of grace shape um, both the life of your congregation, of your people, your own life? How does that make Lutheran ministry unique? Um, right? What are you there for? What do you think, ideally, what should people be looking to you for? Um, but if we can just start off with defining what means of grace is, and I think when I even floated this idea, I said, Michael would be pretty good at explaining some of this because it ties to a lot of what you also talk yeah. about with vocation, sure. that we have a God who works through means. So why don't you go ahead and run, Michael, whatever you want to sure. give background on that. I, I think I have a theory on how why this is so hard to define. I notice in catechism class, a lot of it's, uh, the teaching is wrote at that level, and uh, they can they can regurgitate something and then and then if if you have them long enough they can give you the explanation which is a very catechism thing to do right what does this mean and the one concept that they routinely could not articulate was means of grace and i think it's because of the word means right so the way i explain it is to say if i asked you um, how you got here today what was your means of transportation? Maybe you walked, maybe you rode a bike, the bus, the car, whatever. Maybe an, an e-bike. An e-bike. Um, by what means is this, did you get from point A to point B, right? So kind of draw on the chalk, imagine drawing on a, on a whiteboard. Okay, Jesus died for you. Got it? Everybody's like, all right. He earned salvation by paying the price for sins, but also by then giving us righteousness, this happy exchange, and then saying, but you weren't there, mm -hmm. right? You weren't there, and so how is this well, going actually, to get Michael, you? Well, actually, perhaps that's worth, worth asking. I believe we have a hymn that inquires whether or not one was there. <laughs> yeah. So when, when we sing that hymn in Lent, I just, like, yell out, no. Do you know what that question makes me do? What? Tremble. Tremble. <laughs> it makes me tremble, tremble, tremble. Um, anyway, tremble. since you were not there because Sometimes. you live in Milwaukee and it's 2022 and it's not first century Palestine, you by Israel, this is a very political statement. You just made. <laughs> uh, it was called Palestine back then. Mm -hmm. How does this undeserved love, which is our definition of grace, this forgiveness of sins, get delivered to you? And then I say, here are the four means of grace. Holy word, holy baptism, holy communion, and holy absolution. And then you say, for your convenience, we pastors will do this just about every Sunday. And the point is, you know where to find God. Right? We're like Amazon Prime. Yep. It's going to be very easy. It's going to be very convenient. You do not have to climb a high mountain to find enlightenment with God. It's not gold. It's not silver. It's not platinum. In fact, when you look at those, 
things like water, bread, wine, and then if you want to add oil, um, symbol of the Holy Spirit, um, that was employed in absolution and baptism and stuff. Those are the four. Wait, did you use oil? Well, we're not going to get there, but there's those are the those are the staples of the Mediterranean world, and the point is that God made this accessible, right? You don't have to be rich. Um, everybody had access to these physical, ordinary means where God is going to do something extraordinary, extraordinary. What, what would I have to come to you in your office for, like if I were in spiritual need, um, to get oil from you? <laughs> um, I, I did not employ oil, but I'm not against the application of oil as as the epistle do you have some of in your James, office? I don't. As the epistle of James really would say, anoint with uh, oil. Do you have some? I don't. I don't. Okay. <laughs> Are you calling me a crypto Roman Catholic? I'm not calling you crypto or anything. Yeah. I don't think you would hide the fact. No, I wouldn't. Um, <clears throat> but the point is mm-hmm. that for a first century person, Jewish person living in Palestine, Mm-hmm. that uh, there would have been access to these things and those would have been a part of the religious experience, both for the Old Testament Jewish person and the New Testament Jewish and, Jew- and, and Gentile person within the church. So the means of grace are, as we have said multiple times, where is God? And you answer the catechism question. You ask, with a, you ask the catechism question, you get a catechism answer, which is everywhere. He's omnipresent. Mm-hmm. But the truth of the matter is God wants to be sought where he wants to be found. And so God limits himself in specific ways, or better yet, he has promised to deliver forgiveness in these four ways. So you always know where to go. So you're not seeking, uh, trying to find something that may or may not be out in the wilderness in your spiritual journey. But he says, find me here. It's very, very easy. So the means of grace becomes extremely important in the church. And even though we use that term in Lutheranism and other Christians do not, there are means of grace in other denominations. Um, Maybe it's prayer. Um, Maybe you would expand the list of sacraments from communion, baptism, and, and absolution to something else. Chrismation. Right. The the use of oil in certain <laughs> respects. Yes. So um, that's how I very simply define um, uh, the means of grace to catechism students. And I found, like you have found, um, even the adults or college-age students, you kind of have to explain it that way too. Because, And I think the word means is a hiccup because it's a... It's a it's a, that's a hard word to define. And maybe if I can follow up with a question, I'll throw it to any of you. <clears throat> and you hit a little bit on it. Um, I think one of the, um, both Zwingli and Calvin, for instance, with the Reformed, um, did acknowledge that God can work through his word, right? Um, Calvin acknowledges even that God can work through the Lord's Supper and baptism, not to the same degree as the Lutheran would say so. Um, but he's not... Um, He's not limited to it, right? You can find him elsewhere. Roman Catholicism in the sacramental system um, is going to recognize, right, God can work through these things. But they also wouldn't 
limit it, right? There's definitely, there's mysticism. There's other things where that the only talk about the presence of, of God in different ways. Um, why is it a good thing? I think a lot of people struggle with this. Why is it a good thing that God has bound himself to the means of grace? Now, I think most Lutherans, you can disagree if you want, would say, yes, theoretically, God could work through the hummingbird if he wanted to or whatever else. Um, but why is it for us? You, you kind of got, A, that we know where to find him, um, and maybe I'm not asking well, but I, maybe and maybe I'm thinking somewhat hidden God revealed God. Um, but why is what's the benefit of God having acted in such a way? How would you, what do you see as the benefit? I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer, but a benefit of Him coming in these particular means. Yeah, why not? You know why? You know why not come with the. The lightning and the thunder, or the beautiful sunset, or the, you know, kind of the country music song theology, or, you know, you don't, you don't want to correct the nice old lady who says, you know, um, who talks about her relationship with God largely being God coming to her through prayer. Um, but what, well, and maybe I'll give what I'm thinking, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, is uh, while we can find God in other places, perhaps, um, God hides because in those other places he's not found it with grace. Right? He's not found in Christ. And so to find him there is to find a law God. So we can, in a sense, find a bit of God in creation, the laws of nature, which God upholds, for instance. But that's still law, right? Gravity is it's a law. Um, we can we can find God, his immutable will revealed um in both natural law and revealed law and the laws that human beings make to a degree. But that's still law, and it's a God that we find then. Um, in wrath, we can try to find God in suffering. Um, and while the merciful God is working through suffering for you, uh, I know, Mike, you've talked in the past a lot about theodicy. You're not going to find God in his grace or mercy there. You're going to find a God that you have to justify rather than him justifying you. And I think that's something that for me coming into Lutheranism was big, is that I always know what God I'm going to find in the means of grace. It's a God for me. Now, theoretically, you could say, well, you could take the Lord's Supper unworthily, or you can reject your baptism. But that's not that God wasn't there with grace for you in those things. It's that you've despised that grace. You've rejected that grace. Um, but I think a benefit of that, and you hit on it a little bit, Mike, is is that I, I know what God I'm getting there, whereas I I don't know the God I'm getting elsewhere. And the God I find in law elsewhere, at the end of the day, while we can be optimistic about the law at different times, there's no law that's not accusing, so I'm going to find a God at the end of the day, if I'm honest, of of wrath. And maybe I'm wrong off on that, but I, that's what I was getting at. No, and I think to your question, and Mike, I think that's a nice way of thinking about it, no, he's just going to come to you, and these like you know where he's to be found in these these places, and you don't have to go searching for him. And then wait to say it another way, maybe or maybe this is just how you're saying it: um, to know where he's to be found, and to know precisely um, what he's going to give you in those places. And so, just if you think back to the kids at your feet, or finally your the the parishioners, or finally for yourself. What God do I find in these places? The God, as Wade, you say, is for me, but a God who is full of free forgiveness. It's Christ for me, and it's uh, 
and um and well why would god do it in so many different ways because god has so many ways to tell me he loves me and i and i need to hear that in so many ways and um it's uh yes these are the simple places to be found but um you know what what he has for me uh, in all of those gifts um and i was going to throw it out before the um even the terminology means of grace you know where do where do we where does that first come into play what you know Who's the first guy who stood in front of the catechism classroom and said, well, the means of grace are, I, I don't know the history of that, but. Yeah, I would guess it, I mean, largely probably just from the German, the Gnostic middle, right. trying to think what the Latin would be. Well, but. and just, you know, Luther uh, fleshes that out in um, small called articles, right? Or, well, and then Augsburg, Augsburg Confession 4, right? And 5, Where, through really, these, yeah. just lists it, like, is that, this is why we had the ministry. Mm-hmm. Word, communion, baptism, absolution. Yeah. So, and I don't know if I do a disservice to my confirmants, but I think it was uh, helpful for me when you stop, when I stop thinking about means of grace as things, and thought more about them as as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the tools through which that person is delivered to us, namely Christ. But um, he's the true absolver. He's the true baptizer. He's the true. Yeah. The, the sacrament, the mystery is Christ. And so it may be just more, you know, when I quit thinking about going to communion as a thing, but going to communion and this is an encounter with a God who is really there and really there for me. Well, and I think the encounter language is something we completely list in miss in our American mindset where. We don't really think of sacred spaces like other cultures do. Uh, we don't think of meals as something spiritual or soulish generally. Um, it, we, we think of ourselves as machines. We think of it as fuel. And um, I, you, you maybe one more point, and then I'll, I'll be quiet. You had talked about like, um, you know, why, why, why these different ways, or why, why more than one way. Um, I think there's there's a few answers to that. One is um, we we are there are different people, just like there's different learners, audio, visual, kinesthetic, you know, in a very basic way. Um, uh, God's means of grace are uh, um, multimedia. Before multimedia was a cool thing <clears throat> in the church, and um, but when you also think about how we describe sin, we often describe it in legal forensic terms, describe it as a disease describe it as an uncleanness. And when you think about, I think about the sacraments as, right, like in the Augustinian way, a fleshy word. And um, when you think about, okay, how do, you, how do you figure out, how do you, how do you take care of a stain? Well, you either wash it or you cover it up. Both, both of those are language of baptism, the righteous robe of Christ and washing away. Uh, you've committed a sin, uh, a trespass. You've missed the mark. Um, there's a legal sense and absolution there. And then I think Holy Communion is a, the, mes, the medicine for immortality. That's the disease or the, the sickness, the, the, the depravity that I'm born with. You are given this medicine, right? And so I, I don't think it's an accident that, that when God speaks about sin, that his means by which he's going to deliver the forgiveness of sins corresponds to that. Um, and I think there's probably, it's not just that some person is more of like, I just want to hear the sermon. Some people just need to hear for that specific sin. 
I am forgiven. Some people, it, it really means something to go up and get the forgiveness of sins encountering God. I think it's more that in different seasons in our life, maybe even just a different day, all of these, these things will baptism really hit me that day. Absolution really hit me that day. Holy communion really hit me that day. And that God created us to be word and meal people from the very beginning. And that he's going to come to us in word and meal and, and think about then the legal sense and think about the washing sense. This kind of encapsulates the basics of life. And therefore the basics of sin are going to be described in that. And then the solutions are described in that, those terms too. I don't think that's an accident. And so I think that a means of grace ministry, and maybe you guys could, could talk about this, um, you know, the means of grace ministry being all of those, how do you, how do you make it more than just, uh, you're coming to learn something about God as if this was a self-help group or a university hall lecture or a personality that you're going to fix them. Yeah. This is something, you know, how does the means of grace then inform your ministry as you're reaching out to people in their different seasons of life, a different, a diverse group of people, right. Uh, that are thinking in different ways. I, before we throw that to you, one last thing I just kind of nailed down. I'd like to nail down and define. I think even Lutherans, when they hear means of grace, can get the misimpression that we also mean like these are like shots of grace, you know, kind of almost like the Roman view of infused grace. Like baptism gives me a little bit of grace, and then I'm going to need more grace, so I'm going to get the Lord's Supper, and then the absolution is going to give me some grace. Um, and I think probably what you said about Jesus helps counter this. But we do, right, we believe this is the word in different forms and the word being Christ, right? But but it's also spoken word is attached to these things. Um, and so it's forensic, it's declarative, right? It's tied to our justification. Um, what would you say to maybe dispel that notion of like, you know, this communion's one kind of shot of grace to help me now do better and then another. Um, and maybe even when we have multiple in the service, you've had confirmants who ask, like I would have them ask, well, if I just got forgiven in the absolution, why do I need to be forgiven in the sermon? And if I just got forgiven in the sermon, why in the Lord's Supper? And I think maybe in their head they're thinking like, well, I need a little more forgiveness and then a little more. Um, what would you say in, in how we speak of that as Lutherans when, to someone maybe wrestling with that notion? I, I mean, personally, as a, I remember as a kid sitting in church and thinking that exact same thing when you... You hear that forgiveness in the absolution, you hear it in the readings, you hear it in the sermon, you sing it in the hymns, and, and then you, you know, before you've been confirmed, you're observing the Lord's Supper taking place. And, um, like, why, why are we doing this? Like, and maybe even think, like, because you again, see people taking the Lord's Supper, they're getting a forgiveness you're not getting. Yeah. That, that could be, too. Um, but I like to... <clears throat> um, I, I think that that's one way that, that God considers our whole you know body mind and spirit our senses um that here is a um in a an additional way uh, a different way um a most personal way especially when you're thinking of the lord's supper um in receiving the very body and blood of christ there are there are people in our pews who can hear a sermon and think he cannot be talking about me because if he knew what i did or how many times i've done this um, or even in the absolution hearing, you know, that 
this is got something God speaks to you. And he, again, you know, I don't fall under that umbrella, you know. So, but in the, the Lord's Supper, there's that, that personal assurance. Um, even if the, the you is, can be plural, it, it also <laughs> can be a, a singular. And you are actually in your hands and in your mouth, um, partaking of the Lord Jesus himself. So it, it's like in a, in a marriage where there's multiple ways of expressing love um, to someone. You wouldn't just do it verbally and then never show it, right? That wouldn't really work. Um, and, and maybe it wouldn't even work in a particular marriage to only show it and never say it, right? So this, this is... My wife always has to show it by leaving her alone. <laughs> that's, how, that's how to say I love you, yeah. to leave her alone. Yeah. I, um, and, and maybe this, I was just going to say this, you had the, the question earlier too, and I was just, and maybe it kind of dovetails with this. Th- this seems to be the way that God, this is like his MO, how he chooses that to give himself to us is in this, this hidden way from creation. That must've been magnificent creation week, but then how does he communicate with Adam and Eve, but by coming to them and verbally speaking with them and Moses, this impressive victory over the Baal, or um, Elijah, this impressive victory over the Baal prophets, but he hasn't come through, you know, those mighty things, but through a whisper, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter says, this is great. Let's keep this going. And <laughs> now, you know, the hidden glory in the cross. And so the, this, the means of grace, God continues operating in those same ways. Like I'm coming to you in these um, more simple or even hidden hidden ways, but I, I, I loved what John said too, that these aren't, to not see them as things, but as Jesus himself. And I think we tend to see him as things because like, that can't be him, <laughs> you know. It's water, it's bread and wine, it's just word, you know. Um, so, yeah, and I, I think that definitely has implications for ministry. I'll, I'll no. let John go. Um, I just, thankful I started my ministry in a district where it was still the practice, you know, the pastor's conferences, the local pastors, you know, prepared papers, you know, and I know that's not uh, like that everywhere, but very early on, one of the, you know, and all the young guys were out there. And so we all got papers early on, but um, was assigned a paper uh, and it was something along the lines of uh, the, 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 the presence of the incarnate word, um, in the spoken word, you know, and it was just like, you know, like I, you know, what do these words mean as I'm, you know, and then you dig into that and pastorally, that was just really helpful to me. Then as I think about just today, walking into a hospital room and, and, and then what does that dear saint need today? She doesn't need me, you know, um, what she needs is the Christ, and so here's an opportunity, you know, how, how is Christ going to be delivered to her? And, you know, and, and finally, and Wade, you've joked about before, what an awful thing to, um, to go to hell and, and still know all the names of the Kings, you know, <laughs> like, and not that that's, uh, not important, but, um, that I actually trust that, um, that blessing spoken on that dear saint today, um, is God doing his thing through, the textbook term, the means of grace, but uh, there is Christ being delivered to a, a sinner in need. I think so. The implications for pastoral ministry, then just anyone you encounter, right? Uh, where is Christ and where is Christ for them? Um, then, then this it gets to be a little bit of fun. So, I, I think um, you know Luther talks about 
the theology isn't just something you kind of like, um, you know, with just complete objectivity can step back and study, but it really has to be done to you. And we were talking uh, today in um, Western Civ, we, we had, I had to read the Rule of St. Benedict, and um, I was talking about, well, why do you think some of these things they had to learn these will be, you know, submit to an abbot, whatever. And the point was like something like humility, you you learn by being humbled, right? <clears throat> um, if you if you just practice at it, then you're going to humble brag. It's not going to be real humility. Um, and you know Luther, I think with tentatio anfectung, he he means that. Um, I find a challenge that I sometimes would see in the ministry was I almost felt like I had to convince people that the means of grace mattered. Um, you know, especially if someone's church shopping and. This church has all kinds of programs, or this church has an amazing band and light show. Um, and you're like, uh, we've got like water and bread and wine, and I, I wear a dress and, you know, um, give a, an 11-minute sermon, you know. But, um, but I also found sometimes I would struggle with the means of grace being enough, right? Um, that uh, you almost felt like you had to jump in and. and help the means of grace along. I, I think in many ways the Old Testament is just that, people jumping in and trying to help God's promises. Um, what do you think, um, either of you three, in your experiences? Um, is it either of you three or it would be any of you three? Any of you three. Um, the, uh, what, um, I just appreciate somebody criticizing Wade's English because he does that to me all the time. So yeah. thank you. I do it out of love, though. Yeah, yeah um, mine wasn't out of love. It was no, I, ex- I accepted in love. Police was ground. Out of you love. humbled me. It was, I didn't try to humble you. I was all trying right. to make fun of you. Well, I've I've received it as humility. As our friend Luke Boringer would say, you ignore the rules of grammar to your own dis- demise. <laughs> Luke would say that. Um, but I guess what I'm getting at is, I think to a certain degree, I found with a lot of with myself and with ministering to others, that it often takes people a while to really truly come to appreciate the means of grace sometimes. Um, But once they do, you know, they're going to be those people that you love because they'll be on you if you don't hand over the goods, as Jim Nestigan would like to say, um, or would say. Yeah, once you get a taste of it as as a sinner... Mm-hmm. you really don't have a whole lot of patience for a church or a pastor who doesn't deliver the goods. And I think part of how you get a taste for it is by trying to find God everywhere else. Right? And you, you tire yourself out. So you try to find God all the places um, he's hiding in the sense that he's not revealed himself to be. So we could say in the means of grace he's hiding in the sense of we don't see him in the bread and wine or in the water. But elsewhere, you know, where he's hiding himself um, in order not to be seen because he doesn't want to be found in wrath. But I think um, there's a certain um, patience that has to come when growing as a pastor, but also when pastoring others to let people sometimes maybe tire themselves out. Um, I've sometimes joked, you know, that sometimes Lutheranism should be okay being kind of the, the grad school of American Christianity, you know, that where the disaffected American evangelical or Roman Catholic or whatever just goes, I just want to hear the gospel. And we say, okay, um, we're going to move beyond the, the milk and hear some solid food. 
but maybe also um, not just the grad school, but kind of like literally we call our building the sanctuary, but the, the, the sanctuary for like once you've tired yourself out. You know, I saw the, one of the new big workouts at gym is, is napping, which I really like the idea of this. <laughs> like maybe that's us as a gym. Like we're not even Planet Fitness where you're still going to do some cardio but get pizza. Like we're, uh-huh. you know, Jesus says, come unto me who? All you who are <clears throat> weary. Um, and I don't know, I guess I'll throw it to you guys. What do you think of the means of, and Dave, you hit on this somewhat. I mean, they're not very impressive outwardly. They're bread and wine, they're water. Um, and not very good bread or wine. Yeah, I mean, if we're honest, we're getting kind of the styrofoamy wafer, and then almost everybody's the Mo- Are you guys Mogan David? The we are Mogan one. David. Oh, yeah. Which isn't bad, but. want to get us to that. Oh, it's, it's a port. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know any thoughts with that. I don't. It's, I didn't. It's a little rough. Yeah, a little rough strong. on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> Sunday morning. I didn't ask it well, but anything along. I, I mean, I, I'm guessing there's people that for whom it's hard to get amped up for the means of grace, or there's pastors who easily get frustrated with this. Just how am I supposed to compete with the church down the street? And sometimes even within Lutheranism, dare I say, maybe even sometimes within our own church body we've sometimes become smitten with some of those other churches and thought okay we have to borrow some of that to try to spice it up and that's not always bad to say we can learn from others but it does become if it maybe expresses a frustration with the means of grace i I think uh you know looking back at like my maybe my our father's generation that uh we we they assumed that they knew the gospel and the means of grace because they just used the word word and sacrament all the time. Mm-hmm. But I don't ever remember hearing a sermon about like God touches you in Holy Communion. Like like, did you notice that we sing Holy 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 and Isaiah's right before Holy Communion and there's a story of uh, you know Isaiah's angels and that you know. Uh, tongue touches the, 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 the coal from the heavenly altar comes and touches Isaiah and he says no I'm a man of unclean lips right and I live among people of unclean lips or just that Romans 6 when it comes to baptism right I think there was an impression that we are baptism we are Baptist with baptism you know mm-hmm. and, uh, and well the so, Missouri Synod president back in the day famously said if there's no the Missouri Synod what was it Benkin who said if there's no Missouri Synod church in the area go to the the SBC yeah, church because yeah. at least they're right on scripture. Right, and uh, just so short. I like Rosenblatt's advice better: go to the Episcopalian church, but have a Walkman and put a Lutheran sermon on for the. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, it's. It, I think it was very short-sighted, and the arguments, you know, like we have the means of grace, this is not working. Assume that we were doing it well. Assume that we were teaching it and preaching it, and we didn't preach to the altar; we preached about the altar. Um, and, and I think that that's maybe, maybe for practical preaching and teaching and setting up a culture in, in the church is that one key maybe is that you don't, as we said before, you don't preach about the gospel, you preach the gospel. You don't preach about the sacraments, you preach them to the sacraments. And uh, again, a part of that is then, then the questions of liturgy and culture flow from that naturally. And again, to repeat the idea of, we just don't really understand that we're actually coming into the presence of God. 
that God came down to us rather than we have to go to God, with it, whether it be prayer, worship, or anything like that. Um, I, I just, just, and, and but I'm hopeful for the church, not just the Lutheran church, but also the the larger um, capital C capital C church, but specifically the Protestant church. Um, just you're at a crossroads here as you move from a modern period, which is um, addicted to optimism and, rather than the cross, addicted addicted to a individual spirituality rather than the, the group and the uh, again coming into the presence of God. Protestantism and specifically America has largely, and for America for sure, only known this modern period. And if if everybody's right that we're moving out of the modern period, there's there churches at a crossroads here theologically. Uh, and it's like that's, Paulson says, uh, America was invented to oppose baptism. Yeah, and who says that? Steve Paulson. <laughs> and I and I think, <laughs> but that's it, what he's getting at. And and our interactions with evangelicals plays this out that they use the word incarnational a lot now they use the words of, of like what we're talking Even about vocation as a means a like physical that. means of what's going on how god interacts in the world in physical ways and you can see that protestantism which is you know like uh, the holy spirit just comes to you outside of means was really a fit well with modernism and is a chicken or egg thing, egg thing, you know, did Protestantism help along modernism or vice versa. And this is not to, to critique because there's, there's, there's a lot of confessional Baptists, confessional Presbyterians, confessional Anglicans, C.S. Lewis types who get the church small C and that they're in the heritage of that. They're the heritage of not only the apostolic tradition, but the, but the Reformation. But there are also people within that camp and in the Lutheran camp as well, who would very like, very be, be totally fine throwing off all of history, and uh, just seeing this as a as a business transaction, I, um, and 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 losing, and losing the physicality of. Of God's means of grace. So I don't know who said it. You know, some long lines like if uh, if Satan wanted to take over Philadelphia, yeah. you know, he wouldn't build the the liquor store or the brothel. He'd build a church. And I wonder, you know, part of this conversation of you know of Satan's greatest victories is is the the teaching, the half truth is that God's present everywhere, right? And so you know, and so he can be with you wherever you're at on a Sunday and he can be with you and, 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 and walk with you and talk with you. And like, so the fix it mentality that I have, all right, now, how do we, how do we fix this? And then uh, wait, if I heard you right before it made, ah, maybe just a little patience as far as, um, you know, the, the sinner saint that you that you bring Jesus to in a certain you know th this is where uh, their love affair with the means of grace is going to grow and where where God's going to do His thing with them is it's not your is, job to sell them on it or, or you know and not to downplay the right teaching or rightful encouragement whatever but but finally God's going to do His thing through His things mm -hmm. and um, and so you know where we've all you know this is not a boastful thing right that lesson has been done to us where mike would say you just then would tire pretty quickly when it's not delivered to you like um if anything pastorally that uh 
that your people be brought to such that place, you know. Yeah, and I would say even along those lines, um, I'm probably uh, a lot more um, deeper into my baptism today than I was the day I was baptized. My, um, I think especially with age, the whole idea of being a new creation every day has become very important because every night I put my head on the pillow and go, all that stuff I said was going to be behind me, you know, um, maybe not so much. Um, but that that's come through experiencing life that I've come to appreciate more something that, um, you know, temporally is very much in my past. It's 44 years ago. Um, but that didn't happen from me becoming more intellectually cognizant of what baptism is. Um, you know, I would say that um, even coming out of seminary, I very much appreciated baptism doctrinally. But I would say now I appreciate it much more than I did even then. And it didn't come from further study. Not to once again, like you said, it's not to downplay right teaching or, or study. And I would guess... Um, that's how it happens with a lot of our people. And the temptation then becomes, you know, to market the means of grace is to undermine them. You know, to to try to sell your people on them is to almost cheapen them. Like Mike said, you're going to preach Jesus, and this is where Jesus is. You know, I can preach, um, I can try to really convince you should you should want the Lord's Supper, but that's not going to be enough, right? And that's not to say that our preaching shouldn't, want to preach people to the altar, we should. I mean, the large catechism is, is fairly clear on that. Um, but the temptation can become like, okay, I've really got to, I've got to market these things. And, you know, you think of Isaiah and, you know, come, here's this free banquet, you know. Um, that's a, I don't know, I think sometimes, you know, being there for our people as they grow and being there with the means of grace um, and there's probably something too of the val that's the value of spending some time some somewhere. Um, not saying that you should never change a parish. I've ch we've all changed parishes, or well, Mike and I didn't change parishes. We we bailed. We left the parish. I could have been there forever. Yeah, I could have stayed it too. It wouldn't have been a good deal, but I would, you know. But um, but there is something to being there a while in order to um to let God do his thing and maybe something freeing for the pastor too in that um, it takes a burden off the pastor. I think even with the sermon, um, I remember I got invited to a conference and I gave a paper on uh, preaching as a means of grace and it turned out probably not great timing. We won't go into those details, but, um, but no one got mad about the paper. But the kind of my argument was is if your sermon isn't a means of grace, it's not a good sermon because preaching is a means of grace, right? And, um, but maybe that takes some of the burden off us with preaching too is get out of the way, let the text do its thing. I don't gotta, and this is part of why I just say it in less than 20 minutes. But, um, you don't have to dress up the text. Most of these texts, it turns out, are pretty good. That's why they made the cut in the lectionary. Like, let the text do the thing give them Jesus and, you know, relax a bit. And um, and I think that can be really hard to do, and I'm not saying that, that I do it 
um, well at all. Um, but maybe that would help with some of the homiletical challenges in American Christianity too of at the end of the day, that's what I'm there to give them Jesus. And yes, they're, I'm going to do some teaching if it's a text that has a specific doctrine or whatever else, but I'm not going to, I don't have to make sausage, right? I don't have to take the text and put it in a whatever grinder so that I feel like I've done whatever, you know, um, this, uh, this sermon should do. And I just, I'm going to, I'm going to get to, I'm going to get to Jesus in there and, um, and I know as a hearer, I just, I just, I'm at the point, I don't care about the pastor's kids anymore. I don't care about their hobbies. Um, I don't care, for instance, at the college, how many days are left in the semester. Yeah. I don't care what the weather forecast is. I don't care if the Packers won or lost mm -hmm. last week. Um, I do think it's good when someone maybe like mentions their colleague, um, <clears throat> you know, um, because they appreciate them. Cough, cough. But yeah, yeah, uh, we, we should uh, we'll finish your. You thought. banned me from doing that, and I've not done it. Right. This. Well, I didn't completely ban you. You I gave said, me one, and I used it. I said you got one a semester, and it was complimentary of you. Yeah, thanks. Um, but uh, but I mean to get to, I don't know. Hearing being primarily a hearer of the word has just made me appreciate. Well, well it's kind of what it's maybe to that point. To it's kind of interesting. Okay, so both of us came out of the parish, and you've been out of the parish what? Eight years. Eight years, me, five years. And, you know, one of the concerns was, okay, sitting in a pew every Sunday. And I rarely do anyway, but uh, when you do, you're like, am I going to be so critical of these sermons that I'm never going to get anything out of it or whatever or just hate the worship or whatever? And I found myself not, not doing that. Um, I was kind of surprised. But... Um, at the same time, except when you're at my place, yeah. At, at at the same time, you become a little bit impatient, where you're like, "Just give me the gospel." That's why I came here. I, I, I'm not like, I've never found myself saying, "Oh, that was a you know you should have used a different literary tactic there." And like there's that nothing, there's that, not, there can't matter. be good illustrations. There are illustrations yeah. that have helped me remember something. It's like, um, did you give me, I mean, it really is, at that point, it's really not about your skill at all. I could care less. Um, it really is, are you going to, are you going to not preach about the gospel, or are you going to preach the gospel? And I think that gets to what John said before about the means of grace are not things, they're Jesus. Yeah. Just step out of the way, right? That this is part of what, yeah. and that's not to say I've been blessed with um, very good preaching yeah. um, by those who have served me with it. It's just we get out, we get, we're uh, we get a lot of places, lot. and yeah. uh, and let's just say some people are homiletically challenged. We're going to use it. That's like a new term now that we're gonna we're gonna use. Um, no, there. where are we about at time? We always have difference of opinions yes. of when time should be. You got you got some thoughts, David. We've I been think of time more as like Kairos, a season. Yeah, we've been cutting off our, our guest here. Why don't you oh, go ahead? People come to hear you, though. <laughs> Not so. really. <laughs> 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 we'll definitely have your picture on the on the. Uh, I like the, that. The, the, Send me the best one you have. <laughs> we'll take a picture <laughs> of you, and uh, and we got we got a good one of Pastor Borland too out there. We'll get some we'll get some listeners. So. Any last words from our actual pastors? 
No, I mean, as um, we were coming in tonight, it's just, in the, I mean, obviously I was, when you'd mentioned what the, the topic would be, it was on my mind, but it comes into play all the time, even if you're not thinking of that phrase itself. But from, you know, an adult instruction class where you're talking about um, how does someone get to heaven and you, you can't help but talk about what, you know, the, the connection that it has to that, to, um, uh, what was the other, um, oh, we were in, uh, in our Sunday Bible class talking about um, evangelism, just one, going one by, by one to people and, um, you know, and um, having an, an elders meeting and um, reaching out to people who've lapsed in their regular worship and so you so it's it's just in all these other in all these areas whether it's working with people who are active or you're contemplating how we're going to reach our community it's finding that yeah that 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 balance between uh um when you're talking about um you know leading people to to hunger for these means and and, and not kind of like browbeat them that they um i think that's that's a good thought, um, especially with your own people who have shown a weakness um, in this area to just let them know that you're, you maybe don't realize this, but you're starving because what we believe about these means is, you know, it's like food for your body and um, or food for your soul. Um, so it, it's, yeah, it's, it's so, um, it's, it's, it's every day in the ministry is the means that we have to feed ourselves and they're the means that we have to feed others. And though they're not impressive on, on the surface, um, it is the, the hidden glory and love and grace of God that is coming through them. It's like so it's, they're fun to use. It's like John says, they're, uh, I believe you say, John, they're, they're God's roller dogs. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate what you said there, that they are fun. And we don't want to, like, I don't mean this in a flippant way but i think that's probably what we miss the most I'll speak mm-hmm. for you is baptizing babies handing over holy communion to not just we do that on occasion but to people that you counseled that week before the person that that widow that you buried their husband three weeks ago right mm-hmm. those are just like when I teach worship, I got, you guys don't have any idea what it's like to place a wafer into the mouth or a hand of a widow the first time she came to church after you buried her husband. Like you can't, you could barely do it without choking up, right? And and just to give them this impression, like how sacred and wonderful this is, and that's what I thought about when you said these are fun. I mean, this is this is the stuff that's just enjo- legit enjoyable as a pastor right someone's in your office and they just bare their soul and then you hit them with the gospel and they're like what like you know they were expecting you to to be another voice like right. well you know you shouldn't and instead uh it's gone and you get to see the look on their face of just stunned at god's mercy mm-hmm. but, i mean just think yeah i got my hair cut a couple weeks ago and it I'm looks not, great by the way thank you i know you can't nobody can see it but um You'll have to trust Mike. The, um, but it was the first time I was getting my haircut by this particular stylist. And so, of course, you know, what do you do? And um, she said, oh, that's probably some interesting work of being a pastor. And I, 
kind of use, using my line as like, yeah, you get to be with people in their best moments and their worst ones. But what makes them all the same is what we were talking about tonight, <laughs> is in both situations, whether you're baptizing or marrying or you're burying or counseling or, you know, bringing them through a loss is these means that we're talking about. Like, One trick pony in the best way. Yeah, right. Well, this is, I thought, a very good episode. Does our friend John have anything he would like to uh, say? John, to you got anything? This is a very good episode, I think, that there's freedom in the gospel, right? And that freedom is delivered through these means of grace, and, and it's no secret, right? You know exactly where you can find God and this gospel freedom. And from there, it's a world given back to you, right? You can go live, you can go work, um, you can live life in uh, God's grace. And so, dear friends, let the bird fly.